0: I just saw Twitter, you know, crap. And, you know, if you you see it on Twitter, it's believable.
1: It's true. No, it's true. Like, there there is a law that the FTC passed that says that if it's on Twitter, it has to be true. You can look this up.
0: Especially if you got the blue check mark, That means that it's believed and it's automatically true. And you have to be an asshole to your friends about it. And you can sue.
2: Welcome to Three Idiots and a Lawyer, Matt Pfeiffer, along with Brett Fortnum, Joe Shell, and Kevin O'Keefe. Uh, I have to say, I feel a lot better this week than last week. Um, if anybody listened last week, I was a little under the weather. But You uh, sounded like a, Biden. I <laughs> So, I will say this. This week, also, you have to feel a little bit better about Syracuse basketball, too. They beat Florida State on the road at the Tucker Center. They ended Florida State's 25-game home ACC win streak with their 63-60 win on Saturday. And then they were pretty competitive in the Jimmy V Classic. They were beating Villanova, who's ranked sixth in the country at halftime. Second half didn't go so well. We got a little cold beyond the arc. Villanova got hot beyond the arc. And Villanova won 67-53. But I still walked away from that game, guys, with a better feeling about this team. And and after seeing these two games, I I have to ask, after our early season um, thoughts, is this team maybe a little better than we thought they were?
1: I have them right in the same spot as I did at the beginning of the year. I still think they're mostly trash defensively and then occasionally they're going to win uh, a, a shootout. The Villanova game, to me, the score is very misleading because when you look at, uh, at the first half and second half numbers, really what changed in that game wasn't our defense. Villanova had open shots all night. Um, they almost exclusively shot three-pointers. The difference is they shot 18% from 3 in the first half and 36% from three in the second half. I mean, the second half, like eight for 22 from three, that's not shooting the lights out of the gym. That's good average. Um, It's just the five for 28 in the first half completely decimated them. And we didn't do anything with that. We didn't capitalize with that. It was still very, very close in the first half. And we had zero offense. I think that was the, the, the main thing from that game was just how bad our offense was. I think that was easily our worst offensive showing of the the season. And the, the most shocking stat to me is Jesse Edwards was eight for 15 from the free throw line. You know what we were as a team? Anyone? Eight for 15 from the free throw line. Only Jesse wow. Edwards took a foul shot. And crazy. We, we had four assists. Joe, you point us out. I forget if it was last week or the week before this team does not pass the ball. They don't. Occasionally, Jimmy will put the ball on the floor and drive, but that's it. There's no offense. It reminds me of a few years ago. Uh, Jim said like, Oh yes, I've never drawn plays before. I have to draw plays for this team. Cause they're so bad offensively. Well, I think it's time to start doing that again because I don't think he's doing that yet. But the defense, I think it's the same. The one in the Florida State game was interesting, and I think that's only going to work against select teams. I don't think it's ever going to work twice. So it, it feels like it's kind of patchwork right now. I th- again, I think we're going to be better than we were last year just because we're going to have better offensive games because we have so many shooters. Occasionally someone's going to catch fire, and no one caught fire last night. But I, I, I have these guys about where I had them at the beginning of the year.
3: Okay. Yeah, um, it's it's weird because I would say initially out of the gate, they vastly came up short from where I expected them to be. And now they appear to not be quite as bad as we thought during that bad stretch during the Bahamas But maybe for me, they still haven't even quite gotten back up to what I expected of them this season. I would say overall, they are still below where I expected them to be. Um, I kind of walked away from the last two games not hating the defense as much as I was. I, I think the offense was the bigger issue, which is surprising for this team for what we've seen so far. Obviously, you know, Villanova missed a handful at least of open threes from the corner in that first half but i still didn't hate the defense i thought it looked better some of the rotations are a little quicker than they had been and guys seem to be knowing where to be a little better i think now is where we're seeing what we've talked about ad nauseum at times where i think the players are are learning where where to be and how to do it they're just not fast or athletic enough to get to their spots in time and so if they can you know get more reps under their belt and be able to anticipate better maybe they can still improve as a defense and make up for the lack of athleticism but right now they're just kind of slow i think they know what to do they just aren't physically capable of doing it to the level that's required but i think they did a better job closing out on shooters than they had been. And like I said, Villanova missing open looks certainly helped. But I don't think we were doing awful at closing out on the shooters, especially in the corner. I think they've been doing better. It's obviously still an issue. But if your best offensive player doesn't have the worst night of his career, you're probably still in that game in the second half. And they just... The main, the main issue, oh, Matt, I'll, I'll wrap up in a second, but I think the main issue was what Brett touched on with the lack of ball movement. Everyone's just iso-balling, and for, for Jimmy, that's great. That's his game, and he's doing it, and he's probably been our, one of our better players the last couple of weeks, but the offense is stagnant and guys don't get open, and it just uses up the clock, and we're not putting points on the board. I, I think we need to get some semblance of an organized offense again like like Brett mentioned
2: this team you know I think we said it last week we said it earlier in the season they were going to live and die by the three and you know enough threes fell on Saturday uh to to win right you know Joe Girard had four Cole Swider had four um, yes but, but- Cole
1: Swider took 13 shots Or sorry, 13 13 three-point attempts. attempts Do you know who attempts 13 or do you know who takes 13 three-point attempts a game? Steph Curry. Cole Swider is not Steph Curry.
2: No, he's not. Now, the other thing to point out here is that, um, but what's hurting us and certainly hurt us on Tuesday was Buddy has gone ice cold. Buddy was 0 for 9 combined the last two games a lot of good he has, looks in
3: there too a lot yeah. of good looks
2: yeah he has not made a three in the past two but games
3: the, the game on
0: tuesday uh i think the, the the second half was more the villanova that we were expecting uh who started just draining threes um they were ice cold in the first half and i think that played to our benefit so if we're gonna play, I mean, I think the takeaway for me was, if we're gonna play a top five or six team this year, they're gonna to need to struggle from from the three point line. Um, I mean, the rebounding is just kind of a moving target. I think I became most discouraged after the Auburn game. We just looked really sloppy. Uh, that was that was when I started. You know, we were talking about a minute ago. You know, where we see this team compared to where we came in the year. I think after the Auburn game, I, I saw us a little bit below my original expectations because the whole thing was just really disappointing. Like, you know, Samir Torrance, like, God bless him, but he just really did not look good in that game. Uh, and, and we had to give him some minutes because, you know, Gerard was taking Ill, ill-advised threes and, and Buddy hadn't really put it together. Um, but, but then we came back and, I mean, despite the fact that we blew a, what was it, a 13-point lead against Florida State? um
3: uh, you know, we were able to close out, which is I guess the takeaway. So Torres had five assists in that game though, which is probably more than anyone else in the team is capable of putting up right
0: which now. Is, yeah, which is just concerning because he didn't look very good but but Gerard looked worse. and I just I, the volatility of Gerard just kind of concerns me, but it's great to have a guy like that can, that can pull you out of a pinch and, you know, drain a, a, a three five feet behind the arc. I don't know why we, I don't know why he has to take it five feet behind the arc. I don't know why you can't wait the next five seconds and maybe have somebody else
3: or maybe bring it inside. We have zero, zero post game. It's the most open he can be. That's right. That's about
0: it. And the problem is and I think I'm really hoping that Frank Anselm can become a useful utility player because Jesse Edwards like he just can't do it all himself. You know, he's one guy. we we got to get some depth. And we've been saying this for years, probably decades. Like, we need more depth. We need to cycle guys in and out. We need to keep them guessing, get a little more versatile, because when you play five guys and you maybe rotate a sixth in, you become pretty predictable. Whereas if you have a seventh, a seventh and an eighth guy, that's going to give you so much more of an advantage when you get down – into these close games. Jim uh, Beheim
1: is not going to change his coaching style. Though. He that, only ever plays seven guys. And like, that's the, the why he's transferring out from Syracuse ever since I can remember. I mean, well, guys so, like Louis so, McCroskey yeah. were halfway decent depth players, but they just never got any minutes because Beheim just never plays more than seven guys.
2: And, and Brett is making exactly the point I was going to say is that this style you're not going to have depth because those guys aren't going to be on the team because they know they're not going to play
0: well so we mean Brett were just talking about this the other day it's uh Beheim is showing a rare uh indication that he's willing to adapt um and that he was playing some 1-3-1 one, one the other day he was he was you know switching up from the 2-3 he's 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 you know acting a, a little bit different I, I think because he he realizes this is kind of the end of the line for him and that if, if we have a crap season, then I think he's going to have his legacy, you know, not as good in a place uh, as he would want it to be. Um, but I would love to, to see him cycle some more guys in. I, I really would. Um, the other thing is free throws. We are an in, we I don't even recognize us. We're hitting free throws late in the game. We're not, we're not letting them stay around. I know, I know you mentioned a figure where we were like eight for 13 or whatever, but, but generally, on the season, we're a good free throw shooting team, which I have not said that very often in the last 20 years.
2: Well, last year they were a good free throw team, too. Which is
0: weird. It is weird. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah it, it's been a. I mean, I, I'm with Brett here. Brett, Jim Beheim is not going to. I just don't see Jim Beheim changing his style in terms of bringing in players off the bench. I. I I mean, maybe you'll see him get more involved and draw up some more plays for these guys specifically um, because there seems to be maybe a slight athleticism difference that is, they're going to have to figure out. Um, I do want to give credit, though, to Jesse Edwards. He played two really good games. I mean, just watching him get those blocks against Villanova, I feel like that's something it's been a very long time since we've had a guy on the inside who's playing physical like that. Um, and for as many minutes as he's doing it, I mean, he deserves a lot of credit. He is He's played really well, and I think he's – I don't know. Dare I say he's probably already exceeding some of our expectations? Oh, he's definitely exceeding so my far. expectations, I'd yeah. say.
1: Um, my, my thing about Anselm is I like Anselm. I think he is developing. But I think Jesse Edwards is doing everything and more of what you're asking from your post uh, player and yeah, but I, I think we have more of a post game
0: creek we're done if if he gets hurt what are we going to do
1: well yeah but uh, right now but that's he's not, not the so case you lean right on him and he, he also
0: fouls him. out my point is that going to do this stuff my point is that Bayheim should do this stuff and he's not
3: yeah i think we should talk about that uh, little wrinkle added to the defense lately i know Brett vaguely mentioned or briefly mentioned it saying that what that you think it's it's not a long term answer. It's more of a it, it's something a can,
1: thing. Yeah, it's something like you can throw in there because all like all of a sudden it it depends on the style of offense uh, the other team is playing. It worked a little bit against Indiana, but you didn't see it very much, so it was clearly just something to throw in. They
3: abandoned it in the second half when it never really stopped working, and I was kind of surprised. To I meant to mention this when we talked about that game that. They kind of just scrapped it at halftime, but it had been working. I haven't really seen us use it yet and have it not work. I mean, that's our biggest Achilles heel with our defense is if they can have a a good playmaker in the high post, then they can just pick us apart early in the shot clock. And by putting Buddy there, he can still defend the perimeter, but he's stopping the early entry pass into the high post, which... I think has been a great thing, and I I was I would like to see them keep using that until it doesn't work. But
2: the well, I the,
3: I've, from what I've seen so far, it prevents that early pass into the high post, and it hasn't affected the ability to cover the wings. In fact, I think it was actually still a little better. I understand there may be a bad ma- matchup for it and where it can bite us in
1: the butt, but
3: so far it's been helpful.
1: The reason I think we abandoned it in the second half of the Indiana game is because if you have a strong post presence, it doesn't defend against a strong post presence that well other than defending that high post entry pass. Uh, So I kind of think they were trying to use it
3: back and defend the five longer rather than having to come up and defend the high post. He can stay back.
1: Which right, that's when we it,
3: always open that back door for easy dunks.
1: Right, and that's that's the other thing, and that's why I think it was actually so effective against Florida State because Florida State's big man is a jump shooter. He he wouldn't take it to the basket ever. So if you have someone who is good in the post, they can it, and if they can get the ball in the low post, then it's going to be a one-on-one with Jesse Edwards, and you want to generally avoid that because of you know he does foul, he's still a very good defender but you just don't want to keep saying that up the other problem is you know I know especially North Carolina when we play North Carolina they always have a guy running baseline and that is how you crack a 1-3-1 one, one. but the, the problem is obviously getting it there and when watching it in the Florida State game there was one point when you had Swider playing one of the wing positions and I'm going to pick on him all night tonight and the guy just dribbled around him to get uh, right in the belly of the one-three-one, and that's the one thing you cannot do. You cannot get beat on the outside of one-three-one because other because then it, it's just it's over.
2: Right. You
1: have to force them into the other pressure. And the fact that Swider got beat off the dribble to the one place you cannot get beat off the dribble it, it worries me about how effective the one-three-one can be. I think it's a good change of pacing if you don't have a team whose offense runs so much on the baseline with with that strong post presence which is why I thought it was so effective against Florida State but yeah. it's something you have to be careful with how you use because if again if you also get a very good three point shooting team like Villanova that's why I don't I don't remember seeing it against Villanova at all and I think that's because it won't defend against the three at all
2: I will give Cole Swider credit on on one thing this week. Rebounding. Yeah, his rebounding has been incredible. Uh, He had 10 against Florida State. He had 12 against Villanova um and that's going to be really really important and that's almost become his number one thing for us it's his because only thing and i'm it, sure
3: Brett will talk about his his offense and his defense later but the rebounding has been the the silver lining to his game thus far
2: yeah and while we should point out while we were we actually out-rebounded Florida State by one against Villanova i mean the rebounding was not good I mean it was how many second and third chances did Villanova have it was a ton and you just can't do that and that's going to be something they've got to figure out and maybe it's partly Villanova is just a very very good basketball team and you know but we're going to face more very very good basketball teams this year Uh, they've got to figure out that rebounding issue and and I mean, you can't put it all on Cole Swider and Jesse Edwards. You know, there's other guys are going to have to get in there. But that, let's take that into we're going to now move to stars and demerits. Uh, if you listen to us throughout football season, you know, we did one for each football game. Now, um, our stars and demerits we're going to give is going to be for the week. So in this case, two games. Uh, so uh, we'll go ahead. Uh, let me go ahead. I'll, I'll get us started. Um, I'm going to give a start to Jimmy Beheim. I think Jimmy has started the season, honestly, very solid. And I'm, I, I have to say, he's really impressed me. I think there were a lot of questions of him coming out of Cornell. How was he going to do against the tougher competition that Syracuse is going to face, the Florida States and Villanovas of the world? And he stepped right up to the challenge. He had 13 points against Florida State. Five of 13 from the field, four rebounds. And then against, uh, he was the leading scorer for Syracuse against Villanova in Madison Square Garden. So, you know, Jimmy Bayheim has really stepped up right away. He's become a really pivotal part of this team. So I'm going to give him a star this week. Joe?
3: Um, Yeah, sure. Um, I'm going to piggyback right off you because that's where my star is going is to Jimmy Bayheim. Um, he's the only guy on the team who creates his own high-percentage looks. Everyone else is a jump shooter that takes lower-percentage shots, and Jesse Edwards isn't creating his his high-percentage looks for himself, but Jimmy is doing exactly that. There was the stretch in the Villanova game where he was automatic for, for a good stretch there, where he was just backing his defender down and putting the ball in the basket. And that's something that we need. He adds a little versatility to our offense that would be missing without him. So he's been a very, very useful player thus far, much to Colin's chagrin. Brett?
1: I also have to somewhat begrudgingly give the star to Jimmy Beheim for the week. Uh, and I, the only reason I say begrudgingly is because his two missed free throws in the Florida State game just made me tear my hair out. Um, you, he missed short, and you— Never want to miss a free throw short. That just shows nerves, and that makes me a little nervous. But I think he did have a a solid two games. He was the only thing that looked like offense against Villanova. And I'm sure everyone knows by now where my demerit is going. Watching that Florida State game and watching Cole Swider play that Florida State game, I was beside myself because four for 13 Looks good, but he also I think he might have made his last two threes, which means he was two two for eleven at one point. Or
3: he went from being awful from three to all of a sudden he was okay for a little while, and it
1: kind of evened out. He he hit two at the like back to back toward the end of the game, and that's what makes four for thirteen, which is still not good. I mean, that's not a good percentage. Um, And the other thing I saw was a five second turnover. You never see that called. You, it, it's. I, I, I honestly don't remember seeing that called in a game that is good enough to be on television. That means we had
3: one. We had one the game before too. I forget who it was on, but we've done it twice this year. Just inexcusable.
1: I, like you don't. Most high school teams don't have a five-second call. That just means that the offensive player is standing there with the ball and is lost, and he's not dribbling, and he can't do anything, and like. The, the refs almost never actually call it in five seconds because they don't start counting it immediately. It's like, oh, 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 we, we might get a five-second, they start calling it at, like, second three. So it's really more like an eight-second call or something. And it what annoyed me so much with the Florida State games, he just kept chucking. He had five more shots than anybody else. And the first thing he did in the Villanova game is he took a bad three. It went in, but it was... From far behind the line, it was early in the shot clock. And it was defended. I, yeah. Well-covered, too. And I think I think someone must have said, look, you try this again. You take 13 three-pointers again. We're going to let Benny Williams play more than three minutes. And he was, other than his boards, rather, you know... Unremarkable against Villanova, but inconsequential. Very inconsequential, yes. Which, quite frankly, I prefer inconsequential. Cole Swider, I prefer it because I don't see him as a player who is going to positively positively contribute. I haven't seen anything from him that shows me he can do that, and it's very frustrating when it's mental mistakes. It's not just like it's not. Oh, you know, he's a bad basketball player. It's. He let himself get beat to the one point in the floor you can't get beat. It's a five-second call, and it's taking 15 shots, which he should not be shooting seven, or eight, seven shots more than the rest of the team. Like it's, ah. Yeah.
0: yeah. You guys said a lot of what I was going to say, so I'm going to cheat a little bit, and I'm going to give my star to the free throw shooting at the end of the Indiana game to seal it for us. Uh, which I know because I wasn't here last week So whatever um, And then I'll probably give my demerit You know just generally To our sad State of our 2-3 It just the, the the state of the 2-3 is not strong it, It's it's Just kind of hard to watch We were talking about people going backdoor on us before Those, those dunks Backdoor is just so hard For me to watch probably because I used to be a post player But like we're, we're seeing guys out of position and sliding Edwards up at weird moments because he has to, because the guards aren't athletic enough to defend a lot of these formations we're seeing. But I, my worry is that when we start playing really good teams, that's just going to amplify itself and turn into a monster. Um, and we're, we we got to get better in transition too, uh, just as a side note. Uh, it's it just, it's just, it's just kind of hard to watch. So I guess the, the general state of our defense Especially when it's grounded in the two three, just does not. It's just not good, and that's where my demerit
2: goes. So it is rivalry week for Syracuse. Saturday, the Orange will play at Georgetown, uh, noon on Fox. Uh, the Hoyas are four and four, and four and one in Washington D.C. Now, the thing about this uh, Georgetown team, um, they've they've essentially beat the have nots on their schedule lost to the haves, although they lost to Dartmouth, which I wouldn't necessarily run and call a have Um, not a real strong schedule. Um, If you look at their team stats, they're pretty even with Syracuse on most of those stats. They average 76 points a game. They give up about 71, which is a little bit less than we do Um, 43% field goal percentage, 42 rebounds, um, 13, assists. I mean, it's, it's pretty close. Uh, you have Caden Rice, 14.5 points a game. Uh, he's going to be a, a, you know the guard. Very important player to keep an eye on. Uh, Amanu Muhammad averages 8 rebounds a game, so he's going to be really um, somebody to watch under the basket. Um, he also averages 14 points a game. Dante Harris, another guard. He's averaging um, 13.9 points a game um and uh so i mean you look at this guys this is this is a game that i want to say i think we should win just based on the fact that i think we've played i think we've played even though the stats look the same i think we've done the same stats against a much tougher schedule than georgetown has right we've already been a little more battle tested than they are um now on the other hand this is one of those games where whatever happened beforehand doesn't seem to really matter because it is a rivalry. I don't know what you guys think about this one, but um, you know, we, I, I, it'll be a, it'll be. I think it'll be a battle, but I, I like our odds in this.
0: They they lost to St. Joe's and some other rinky dink. They Dartmouth. lost to Dartmouth, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, we can't we can't lose. We can't lose to Georgetown ever. But especially right now, because I think we're a bubble team, and I think they're on the outside looking in. Um, these are games you, you need to win, especially ones that give you extra energy, uh, what with it being such a rivalry, at least for us old folks um, who, who remember the old Big East. But, yeah, I mean, I think this is – I mean, I don't like using the term must win, but I think this is a good barometer for if we're going to be a serious team this year. Um, you know, especially because this game, you know, I, I think these guys understand that this is this means more than just uh, playing a non-conference school, and that that's the end of it. Like they know this is an important rivalry, and it would would give the program a lot of energy for us to beat Georgetown. So I I really I really hope we can we can come out strong on Saturday.
2: So, uh, well, Joe, were you going to say something?
3: Yeah, you know, every time. I feel a little down or a little frustrated about what's happened to our program since 2013. I just look at what's happened to Georgetown's program since 2013. And I feel a little better. I feel a little better because they, they're, they are down in the dumps. They really have not been competitive. So they can still, you know, slap that big East logo on their court and on their Jersey and good for them. That's nice. That's cute. But, they're not a they haven't been a competitive program as much as we like to moan about how we haven't been as competitive of a a program still haven't had a losing season in bayheim's tenure at all so it could always be worse and the the grass sometimes is just straight up browner on the other side and that (laughs) other side is georgetown's yard um i think 2013 is a good point to to look at you know that's when Georgetown really shellacked us in the regular season, and then it all came down to that that last real Big East tournament. So it, it CJ
1: whole-handedly just <laughs> removed all of the ability from the Georgetown basketball program when he dunked on Otto Porter in the Big East tournament. Like, and ever you since guys, then. You guys Florida will Golf see. Coast happened.
3: You guys will see, like, Brett and Kevin – you guys might be the only fans at this game. It's whatever Syracuse fans you drag along with you. Like that's, who's going to be there. That's what. Yeah, yeah, I heard Long's basketball.
1: Coming. What's
0: that? Long's coming apparently. Oh yeah. So we're going to have to get out the old Shannon chant out, you know, it's going to be like, just like the old days.
1: I'm actually sitting in the Georgetown alumni section. So that's going to be the only one. I know. No, no we, we, we were looking at tickets. They were dirt cheap. Oh, like the, it's like center court, dirt cheap tickets. and But one thing that does give me a little hope for this rivalry, um, I ran into someone last week um, who I only sort of know. And in the course of the conversation, he's like, yeah, yeah, I went to Georgetown. I'm just like, oh, well, we can't be friends. You suck. He's like, oh, you went to Syracuse. And like he's, a, I think he's a few years younger than me. And the, just the fact that he immediately knew why I hated him and didn't think he had a soul – Gave me hope and pleasure because somewhere people understand. And that's actually one of the reasons I think this game is going to be interesting. You heard it here first.
3: Brett got pleasured by a Georgetown fan.
1: Brett,
0: Brett, if you were 1% as as polite in that interaction
1: as you just described, I will be a monkey's uncle. You will be a monkey's uncle because it was in a professional setting. So I kind of had to be. Uh, somewhat polite, and it was in front of other people, so I did have to actually be a little bit polite. But the other thing is, Buddy and Jimmy, in this game, they grew up. They in, you know, the their father is one of the reasons this rivalry exists. They know why this matters, and I like to think that Patrick Ewing is trying to teach his team. That this matters now. The the scary thing there is if Patrick Ewing is teaching them about this rivalry like he teaches them about basketball, they won't know a damn thing about it. But it's possible that the players are going to understand why this game matters, and I think that hopefully that means that it's going to be uh, a Beheim brother bash.
2: Yeah. Well, let's make our picks for this game. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and say I think Syracuse wins this. Give me 83.69.
0: All right, I guess I'll go next. Um, I'm going to take cues as well. Um, give me, uh, give me, give me eighty-eight to seventy-five. I think uh, I think they're going to put some points up, um, and it's going to be you know it's always a little bit competitive, but I think we pull away at the end.
1: I think this is going to come down to it because. Syracuse-Georgetown games always come down the wire. I think it's going to be an ugly, ugly game. It's going to be like 69-68. So I'm going to take 69-68 Syracuse.
3: This is a dangerous game to me because I don't think there's a lot at stake. I don't think there's a lot to benefit from this game. I think Georgetown's not going to help our resume at all. It's not going to be a win to write home about if, if we do in fact win. And if you lose, I think it's going to look really bad. I, I think it's one of those games. Yeah, Hopefully there's some something left to the rivalry where the players show up for it. Um, and I I think what's happened is that in Space Jam, when Patrick Ewing got his powers back, his coaching ability stayed in the basketball. He never got that. Like, they must have stolen that from him way back in 1996. That's the only explanation.
1: Sean Bradley's playing powers became Patrick Ewing's coaching powers. I was going
0: to make that joke, but I hadn't formed it in my head yet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, um,
3: I think the offense is, is due to bounce back, and I think they're going to. I think Buddy is going to have a phenomenal game. So I, I'm less worried about the offense, but I think the defense will probably let even lowly Georgetown score some points. Let's say I think we're going to win 75 to 66.
2: All right. So Q's wins all around. Let's hope that turns out to be true. Let's switch our focus over to the women's basketball team. We really haven't talked about them much this year. Uh, beyond talking about our disagreements with the coaching decision of who is going to be the head coach, um, the women's team is sitting at six and four. They're zero and one in ACC play, having lost to Notre Dame in their only conference game so far. Back early in season, uh, but they're on a four-game winning streak uh, that includes a ninety-seven to ninety-one win over eighteenth-ranked Ohio State. That game was last Wednesday when we were taping the show. And then they followed that up with a 116-65 win over Central Connecticut State. That is a program high points for a single game. So they're, they've been playing, you know, pretty well here in the past two weeks. You look at just some of the, some of the stuff uh, from that, that game over Ohio State. And if you follow women's basketball at all, you know that an unranked win against a ranked opponent does not necessarily happen very often in this sport. You know, it tends to be a sport where the favored team wins. But Tisha Hyman had 30 points against Ohio State. She was 12 of 18 from the field, 4 of 6 from beyond the arc. Christlin Carr had 23 points. Najee Murray had 21 points. Uh, and she had 7 rebounds. Uh, Christiana Carr had 7 defensive rebounds uh, against a, a really good Ohio State team. Um, Syracuse was more than 50% from the field. They got out-rebounded, but not by a lot. It was 39-35 Ohio State. I mean, this team played really well there, and if you look at their just overall this year, they're averaging 79 points a game, 45% from the field, 35% from beyond the arc. They're 80% from the free throw line. They're averaging 37 rebounds a game. Yeah, I, I mean, this is, a, this is a team that, you know, we didn't know a lot going into this, guys, because honestly, this is a very different lineup than last year. But Crislin Carr is kind of the the leader of the team in terms of she's got the most points uh, so far. Tisha Hyman right behind her. She's got 149 points on the season. Christiana Carr uh, has been playing really well too. Najee Murray, Alicia um, Styles. Uh, so a lot of. You know, so far, it's been a better season than I think some people might have expected. Yeah, you already have four losses, but, you know, now they seem to be on a little bit of a run, and, and that really impressive Ohio State win is something that's notable.
3: I think we need to highlight Tisha Hyman's near quadruple double against Central Connecticut as well. I mean, she was, what, two rebounds short, and she had a really, I think that's an all time performance for a. Syracuse women's basketball player 27 points 15 assists 11 steals eight rebounds so two rebounds shy of a quadruple double which is just incredible I don't think I've with all the great players we've seen come through that program in the last six or seven years I haven't seen anything like that
2: yeah and maybe it's a case a little bit like Sean Tucker right where nobody really knew who he was and then Due to circumstances, he rose to the top, and then maybe with Tisha Hyman, that's what we have is is somebody who's going to rise to the top in a a circumstance that that is putting her kind of at the center. But their next game, they play Saturday against Clemson in the Dome, 7 p.m. tip. So uh, be sure to check that out or keep an eye on what they're doing this season. uh, It should be fun to kind of see where they go. So, some football notes. So, last week we mentioned that there were some ACC first team. Um, I just wanted to go through. There were some other folks that got recognized, and I want to make sure they get recognized. So, again, ACC first team was Sean Tucker, Cody Roscoe, and Mike L. Jones. By the way, Mike L. Jones was second in the ACC in tackles with 110 tackles. And Cody Roscoe was third in the conference in sacks at eight and a half sacks. Deuce Chestnut was ACC third team. He had the second most passes defended in the conference. And the honorable mentions were offensive lineman Matthew Bergeron, uh, offensive lineman Aaron Surveys, defensive end Josh Black, and cornerback Garrett Williams, who, by the way, was the third in the ACC in passes defended. So both of them did real real solid, and and it's nice to see them get recognized. Pro Football Focus also put out an all-ACC team. Uh, Sean Tucker, Mike Jones were on their first team. Trevor Pena made their third team as a kick returner. And then in honorable mentions, they had Deuce Chestnut as a flex defender. And Courtney Jackson as a punt returner. Of course, he had that punt return for a touchdown against Boston College. Sean Tucker was named an ESPN All-America first team and made the Athletic All-America second team. Deuce Chestnut was 247 sports and pro football focuses uh, freshman All-America team. Cooper Lutz, running back, uh, entering the transfer portal. He announced that a couple days ago. He earned his degree already. He's got two years of eligibility left. His uh, production dropped from 43 carries in 2020 to 17 in 2021 for obvious reasons. I don't think this is necessarily surprising that Cooper Lutz hit the transfer portal. Um, he wants to go somewhere where he's going to get a chance to play. It is a big depth loss, guys, for Syracuse. There's no doubt about that. Um, yeah, let's not forget, he was a
1: special teams captain, and yeah. he absolutely contributed there. He obviously, he didn't do too much on the offensive side of the ball, and he had, I think, what, two fumbles this year that were worrisome. But you want to be able to hang on those depth guys. And I was saying this pre-show a little bit. I am a little concerned with our inability to keep some of these depth guys, it just seems like we've had a lot of portal activity, even compared to the well, lots of portal activity that is being seen nationwide. I think our numbers are actually, I think a tick higher than most schools. And it, it, it concerns me. And um, One point that um, I heard John, John Casillo over at Newton's Magician make, it, one of the things that could be tough for Dino on the recruiting trail um, going in is uh, the possibility of him being a lame duck coach with there being such a question over whether or not he keeps his job. Yeah, It's, I, th- I think it makes, it makes it very hard for him to succeed next year just because he can't sit there and say, I'm absolutely going to be here in two years, even if he wants to be here in two years. And it's, I, I think we're just seeing a lot of turmoil in the program even though there's been consistency and it, it's worrisome.
2: National Letter of Intent Day is December 15th. Um, we have seen a lot of um, action. The, the coaches, if you follow them on Twitter at all, have been traveling all over the place. Um, and they've got some pretty interesting recruits for sure, some some notable guys. We'll see if they commit. Obviously there are some guys who are already committed. Uh, as well, who are pretty impressive. I tell we just had the Gatorade player of the year in New Jersey um, is committed to us. Um, I believe he's a running back as well. Um, but uh, then Sherrod Johnson also entered the transfer portal. Now, he's a five-year veteran who has a one year of eligibility left. He only had 14 catches for 184 yards this year. But I also want to note that this happened right after the wide receiver coach announced that he's leaving. Um, he's going to Kansas. I mean, this kind of – Position coaches kind of come and go uh, pretty pretty frequently. But that does mean there are 26 scholarship spots available on this team. There's only 59 on the current roster um, between the people who are graduating and the people who hit the portal. So there's a lot of spots to fill. Now, some of that they are looking at some transfer portal guys. Uh, and the one that is obviously very notable is Albany defensive end Jared Verse. If you watch that game against Albany, he is the defensive end that managed to stay with Sean Tucker all the way down the field and chased him. And uh, he said he felt prioritized. He was impressed with the defensive staff. Seemed like he had a really good visit this past weekend, which is exciting because we're going to need new people in that defensive end His spot. His offer I know sheet
3: is pretty stacked, though.
2: It, it is stacked. We also made an offer to a JUCO offensive lineman and uh, Terrence McClain. Uh, as well. So we'll see how how that goes. But the big news this week for the football program is that they have hired a special teams coordinator, thank God, Bob Ligeski, who last year was at Bowling Green, but he has 12 seasons of experience in the NFL, including with the 2008 Super Bowl champ uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, He's also with the Texans, the Buccaneers, the Broncos, the Rams, and the Jags. Uh, And he's also um, previously in college, uh, in addition to Bowling Green, had been at Pitt where he actually overlapped for one year with Dino Babers and Kent State. So uh, this guy is well, well-known and is c- considered one of the better special teams coordinators out there. So this was a big get for Syracuse, and considering our special teams has really struggled, I think it's very exciting to see them making a move that hopefully will improve that part of the game. It's got to improve, as, as you've seen.
1: Um it's just kind of shocking that we didn't have one already. Um, I hope this means that there's going to be more of a commitment to the football program. Um, I know there's that do- basically a donor drive for 150 million more dollars, and we've talked about the financial commitment a few times before. But I hope that being allowed to hire another position coach that we so desperately needed means that they are making that commitment. I'm just, I don't know. The, the fact that we need it is. well i mean
2: i i do ask how many programs were walking around without a special teams coordinator that just seems like something that most programs have i realize some don't but but i tend to think if you're a good program you make sure you have somebody because it's just like we said i mean it's look at how critical some of those bad punts were this year some of the missed field goals the the bad snaps the bad holds
0: bad coverage return touchdowns like it was a huge deal this year and i mean i'm not saying we would have won an extra game but you really never know i mean some of those could have the other way
2: you you could have not only won an extra game or at least you could have given yourself a chance right you know if the if the ball is turned and the laces aren't facing you know, our kicker, does he make it against Clemson? He might have missed it anyway. Just but...
1: watch a freaking Jim Carrey movie for God's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I think it's time to take a drive by Pfeiffer's Pit Stop.
2: I'm coming in! Well, last week I wanted to go on a rant and I was coughing too much. So thank you to Brett who picked up and ranted instead for me. And I was all ready to do this big rant about the the coaches moving around and some of this other stuff happening in college football right now. And instead, the University of Miami stepped in and decided that they were going to choose the rant for me. University of Miami, you know, who's obviously an ACC program, uh, went and hired Mario Cristobal this week from Oregon. And Mario Cristobal, because he's insane, accepted the job at Miami, which personally I still think is a big step down from Oregon, where he had three top ten recruiting classes and, uh, frankly, just a much better chance at success. Miami um, has not been committed to its athletic program in recent years, um, they, they have not – the administration there has not been funding the athletic department uh, much at all. And um, having to play in a mostly empty hard rock stadium, 45 minutes from campus, most games a year, has not really benefited the Miami program. But he's getting something around $9 million a year. <clears throat> Miami paid off Manny Diaz to leave, which, by the way, what a dirtbag way to – how I mean – the way they did Manny Diaz was just wrong. Diaz didn't do a bad job, but then to say, well, we'll offer Mario Cristobal, but if he says no, we'll keep Manny Diaz. I mean, I, I, mean, I wouldn't have I, – I mean, if Diaz told him to eat shit, that would have been fine by me. But anyway, um, so now the University of Miami said, hey, we're going to commit ourselves to athletics going forward. And uh, they had two donors, two big donors that got involved. But uh, there was something in the athletic article, and I want to make sure that I credit the author here. Uh, And the author of that athletic article is Manny Navarro. And uh, the other reason that the University of Miami is putting more money into its program is because, and I'm just going to quote the article, until recently Miami's administration has been unwilling to allocate funds to the athletic department instead leaving it to cover all expenses on its own. But the success of Miami's U Health system, which made more than $400 million in profits last year and promises from big-time billionaire boosters and donors to back upgrades at Miami, changed the school's stance. So we are paying for a football coach with COVID money. And this just, I'm sorry, reeks to high heaven. I mean, I realize that we don't look to college athletic departments for morals or or standards of any sort, but this just reeks. Uh, So we've got money from, you know, made during a pandemic is going to pay for a football coach and what will now be the second highest paid football staff in the ACC. Um, I have... Stronger words I want to say to the University of Miami. I will refrain, but they, they, well, yeah, they rhyme with duck and poo. Uh, (laughs) And that's, and that's what I, and that's what I have to say to the University of Miami. I I was using COVID funds to 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 pay for a football coach honestly go screw yourself i was they about to suggest that bunch. like we
1: get some miami vice music in here to to check that out but after hearing duck poo don johnson would slap you
2: i i just i i, I cannot like fathom like how morally corrupt you have to be to say, no, we're not going to put the money back into the hospital system. No, let's pay our football coach with COVID. Matt,
1: you don't know. You don't understand running a university is the hardest job in America.
2: Oh yes. Yes. Oh yes. That one from our good friend over at the AC at the NCAA, Mark Emmert, <clears throat> being a college president is the hardest job in America and being an athletic director is not far behind. Um, I mean, it's not an easy job, but it's hard, far from the hardest job in America. So, yeah, just one more reminder that Mark Emmert's a dirtbag yeah, and that Kevin O'Keefe has his baseball glove.
0: <laughs> it's hard the way he does it. I mean, it it shouldn't be the hardest job in America, but he really makes it look like it. I mean, good Lord.
2: I, I mean, I just I, – I don't know. You know what? I, I mean, people know, like I will say that, like, I can't stand Notre Dame's football program, and I consider them my least favorite of the FBS programs. Uh, the University of Miami may be for the first time making me question whether Notre Dame is actually my least favorite. Honest to God, I hope Miami never gets anywhere close to the ACC title. I hope they don't sniff it after this. You kidding me? Well, spending they can't money because they, during a pandemic? They won't be able to sniff it because they got COVID. Boo! Wow, I don't think was, I don't think I would have. That was lame. Sorry, but... that had
1: that, that joke had no taste. Just like if you were to get
2: COVID. No, don't do it. Don't make another joke about COVID. Um, look, I, I just I, I just I'm sorry. Like that just it pisses me off to no end that Miami's using money from their hospital for that. It
0: stinks to high heaven.
2: It does it stink couldn't... to high heaven.
0: If you because. can smell it. <laughs> I, I teed that one up for you, Brett.
2: <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, well, with that, it's time for us to go. Uh, <laughs> look, um, make sure to follow us on Twitter at 3ILpod. Like us on Facebook, 3Idiots and a Lawyer. Um, if you've got questions for the mailbag, 3 idiots Lawyer at gmail.com. We are only two weeks away, two weeks away from our second annual holiday festival show. So get excited. That was probably my favorite show we've ever taped, and I'm very excited that it's the time of year to tape that show again. And Brett, I think will make it this year. He did not, he could not be at the Holiday Festival show last year because he didn't have holiday spirit, apparently. But No, but I got a lot of problems. That's right. That's right. And we will have an airing of grievances, as is tradition. So look. If you have the 1990 NCAA lacrosse trophy, make sure to let us know that you have it. We just want to know that it's safe. Until next time, for Joe Schell, Brett Fortnum, Kevin O'Keefe, I'm Matt Pfeiffer. We'll see you next time.